This is Rabbi G, and welcome to Harvard God and Gen Z. The goal of this podcast is to discuss life's big questions with some of America's brightest young minds. We will discuss Harvard's continued sway on the imagination as the peak of success. We will discuss how to get there and what it is like when you do. We will then shift to discuss if and in what ways meaning and God are relevant features of Gen Z. What better place than Harvard for discussing these issues with the thought leaders of tomorrow? Welcome back, everybody. Super exciting to have another live Harvard student who is in the college currently, third-year senior, which is super exciting. I'd like to introduce Rebecca, majoring in comparative religion, originally from Westchester. Welcome, Rebecca. How are you? Thank you. How is the uh, COVID college experience going for you so far? I know Harvard has taken a more strict tact than other schools. Has that been an effective for you or difficult? How has it been going? Thank you for asking. When I was a first-year student, a good friend of mine said to me, you know, classes are not really so important. You don't really learn the most in classes that you learn. Um, you learn the most outside of class. And I thought to myself, you know, I said to him, but that's crazy. That makes no sense, right? I'm here. I'm in college. Why am I in college? What am I learning? I'm in class. Like I'm learning what I'm learning in class. I'm in class to learn. Why am I in college? To go to class and learn things. And I know what he means now that the experience of life at this moment is one that is inspiring and bringing out a lot of new experience mm -hmm. in, in the kind of tenuousness of physical spatial existence at the moment. And also, you know, that's inspiring a lot of learning about myself. And I think a different form of wisdom and a different form of learning and his learning class. And in the sense that this time is opening up more students to see that and experience all of the learning that goes on outside of class, what is now Zoom class, then, um, and so be it. Yeah. Then I think that- It's a beautiful perspective on the situation and, and seeing how, yeah, hardship can often bring out the best in people and force people to think outside the box to, to be proactive and create create new experiences and whatnot. So that, that's incredible and very grounding. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you were a cultural Jew. What does that mean exactly? Thank you for picking up on that. Um, <laughs> I think that the Judaism that I grew up with. So when we began this conversation before you pushed the record button, you mentioned that one of the things that, you know, that you wanted to talk about and were hoping to talk about today was God. And my jump into, into the, the Judaism that I experience, to what is now the Judaism that I experience um, today, began with questions of God. Um, and is constantly encountering questions of God. And so- Can you elaborate, what, what were those questions? Yeah, to quickly answer your first question first about the cultural Judaism. Yes. The Judaism that I grew up with is one that I was not encountered with as an everyday experience. It wasn't one that, that was shaping the arc of time in my life. Quintessential high holiday Jew, you would say, or something else? I would say a, a little bit different than a high holiday Jew. I was okay. I was a Sunday school Jew. <laughs> I went to I the the I went to synagogue for prayer probably 
on the high holidays and maybe a couple other times of the year. But I went every Sunday. I went every Sunday to synagogue. Um, That's impressive. Okay. <laughs> and I um, and I was I was culturally involved. Judaism was a very social experience for me. I learned the words of the prayers, but I didn't learn what the prayers meant. And I, I didn't really learn how to pray. The definition of God that I received, one that I didn't accept. I didn't believe in God okay. when I came to college. And what was the God that I didn't believe in? One of my good friends says, I told him this story and he said, oh, you didn't believe in Santa Claus in the sky, God. And <laughs> okay. I said- <laughs> Old man in the sky. He That's gets true. That's right. um, the God that I didn't believe in was the, you know, the, the very masculine sure. um, kind of overarching king imagery God. Right. And, but I, I loved going to synagogue on Sundays because it was a space where I could hang out with my friends. Um, it was a space where, you know, I could cook and, and I think safely begin to encounter questions of Judaism, um, but not really ones that were meant to have implications in the way that I lived my everyday life. Sure. So when did that, how did that change? So I understand that you were not enamored with that vision of God. When were you presented with a different vision of God that was more palatable and one that you could believe in? How did that transition happen? And especially at Harvard, where Harvard's not exactly known as a place where people find God. Many people lose God, I believe, at Harvard. But I don't know how many people find it. Um, so I'm curious how were you one of the few and proud that actually did experience a, a finding of God as opposed to a losing of God? Thank you for asking that. So I think one more thing I'll say about the high holiday viewpoint quickly yes. is I do think that, and I know that holidays definitely were times that brought me together before college and now holidays yes. are times that bring me together with family and are part of, I think, what can be described as, or what I did describe as a cultural Jewish experience. Um, and I do wanna point out as well that connection with family is sure. an important part of the Judaism that I do experience and the one that I grew up with. Yeah. Um, and I think for most people that's the case, family, community, those are the, the way they do engage in Judaism, but it's uh, often the theologies where people seem not to be plugged in. Yeah, so I came to college and I was very curious and as I said, when I came to college, I didn't believe in God and I had never learned how to pray. Mm -hmm. And I think that there were a lot of surrounding factors in the moments. I'll, I'll describe the moments, um, the moments when things change. I, th I think it was an inevitable moment, but actually today is quite a day to be talking about this moment um, because today we are two years away from the- Is uh, this the anniversary today Pittsburgh, specifically? The Pittsburgh shootings. It wow. is the- the, I didn't um, realize it wasn't even talked about. Okay. I didn't see any mention already forgotten. What a tragedy. Uh, uh, so two years. So what happened two years ago today? So two uh, years ago today, the Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh massacre occurred at the tree of life synagogue. Mm -hmm. And I was a first year student at Harvard. And there were a lot of new things right at that moment. One is I felt different for being Jewish in a way that I had not before. I grew up in a town. I went to public school, but I went to New York public school. So we had school had there. on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Uh -huh. And there were a whole host of bar and bat mitzvahs, b'nai mitzvahs in the years of my, between sixth and eighth grade um, in my school. And somehow even most of the non-Jewish students knew how to say Baruch HaTah Hashem, <laughs> even though, <laughs> yeah. 
even though kind of this an imminent or everyday Judaism was not one that I had been exposed to before. Well, being Jewish was comfortable. You weren't the odd man out or odd woman out. Exactly. And everyone kind of experienced this, a similar Judaism. It was very much one, I think you might describe it as a high holiday Judaism, or as I described it as a, a Sunday school, you know, the more involved kids were the Sunday school Jews. And um, so, you know, I was one of the more involved Sunday school Jews. And, and, and I'm very grateful for that. And so the high holidays were very early in the school year, my freshman year. They were during, during shopping week, which is our first week of classes. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had to miss class during shopping. And it was, I was so intimidated by this because it was my first time taking college classes. And also it was my first time not having school off on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And I remember that on Yom Kippur, this was about a week into the school year, on Yom Kippur, I was walking to the egalitarian, the traditional egalitarian services my freshman year we're in Memorial Church, which mm-hmm. is the big church in the middle of Harvard Yard. And I was walking to Memorial Church on Yom Kippur for services. And I passed by someone who I knew in the yard. And he said to me, oh, are you going to the dining hall for lunch? <laughs> and there was just something in that moment about feeling so different for being Jewish for the first time. Like, Fascinating. oh, of course I wasn't going to lunch. It's the day of fasting. It's Yom Kippur. And so I just said, you know, no, I'm not going to the dining hall um, mm. and, and proceeded to go to services. But something about that moment stuck with me because because of the feeling of difference on a day that sure. that for every year before that, everyone knew, OK, it's Yom Kippur. Um, you know, my not even even some of my non-Jewish friends would come to the breakfast and it was beautiful and, and celebratory. But that and, was really the first time in your life where you felt slightly different for being Jewish and that awakened some sort of identity moment for you? Possibly. So I think mm-hmm. that was one factor that went mm-hmm. into that moment. And also at what, when the Pittsburgh shooting happened, something that for me had always been a place of comfort, a place of family, a place of home, you know, Jewish spaces, generally, right. um, the synagogue space and also Jewish spaces were suddenly a place, suddenly became a place of violence. Mm-hmm. And there was something very unsettling about that sure. for me as well, of course. Um, and I remember the vigil. So the vigil after the Pittsburgh shootings at Sunday. Was that your first uh, encounter with anti-Semitism on a person on a more personal level in some way? My first encounter with anti-Semitism definitely in a way that stuck out to me in a way that I remember. Yeah. And th- I mean, thankfully, right? I grew up in, in the suburbs of New York in this in this county with many Jews. So so the moments of the vigil was very powerful. The room, it was in the biggest room at Harvard Hillel and the room was overflowing with people. And I was crying at the vigil. A lot of people were crying. And I remember in, there was one moment in the vigil where I, I had a very, very strong feeling. And the feeling was, all I want to do right now is pray. What did you want to pray for? And this was a terrifying feeling for me. Right. Because one, I didn't believe in God. So who was I going to pray to? What was I going to pray to? Great question. And two, I never learned how to pray. So how was I going to pray? And I think you bring up another question. You asked, what, are you, what were you going to pray for? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you always pray for something. Mm-hmm. But you, when you say the urge to pray, you mean an urge to connect to something bigger or you really mean? That's what I remember of the feeling is all pray. I want to do right now is pray. That okay. was the feeling. And 
all of the Hillel staff and chaplains made themselves very available that week, thankfully. So I emailed one of the Hillel rabbis, um, the rabbi of the minion that I had been going to on Friday nights, the prayer group that I had been going to on Friday nights, um, called the Student Conservative Minion, um, and our rabbi's name is Getzel. And I emailed him and said, Rabbi Getzel, let's make a time to have coffee. And we went to Pete's coffee shop that week, a couple of days later. And I said to him, teach me how to pray. And he said, I can't talk about this in here. It was not the right setting to talk about prayer. So we walk outside of Pete's coffee shop and sit down on one of the benches in that little grassy area that's outside of Pete's. And he said, okay, this is better. This feels, this kind of open air space feels, feels like the right place to be talking about this, to be having this conversation. And he started talking about different God names. And he told me about the Shekhinah. And I said, whoa, feminine God's a woman. Presence of God. There we the go. Shekhinah is the feminine presence of God. And I said, whoa, God's a woman? Maybe that's a God that I can believe in. Maybe that's a God that I can, that I can interact with and question. And the first type of prayer that I, that I learned about, I later learned is called Heat Bodidut, which is talking to God talking to God like God is sitting next to you. Mm -hmm. And Rabbi Getzel said, if nothing else, just say, hey, God, what's up? And then I had, I didn't know that it was called a Hebruta at the time, but then I had my first Hebruta with Rabbi Getzel. We met weekly and we talked about prayer or really anything that I was curious about. And so that's when I encountered the Amidah and he, he and I sat down and went through the blessings of the Amidah, which is the silent standing prayer. Um, it's kind of the, um, the height or the cornerstone of a Jewish prayer service when the obligation to pray is centers on the obligation to say this one prayer, the Amidah. And so we went through that prayer together and I learned how to pray both non-liturgical prayer and liturgical prayer. And we also had a weekday morning minion, um, a weekday morning prayer group that, that was egalitarian that met on Friday mornings at that time. Right. And that was my first time also going to a weekday minion. So I started going on Friday mornings. And at the same time, I was encountering Shabbat in a way that I had not encountered Shabbat before. Um, with so the Things started coming, piecing together based on that initial urge for prayer, created that initial relationship i would maybe perhaps say a relationship perhaps with the concept of the divine and slowly judaism took shape around that in some, in some way yes that's fascinating because i find that it's such a unique story because on the one hand the first thing that in the torah that adam the first person does is pray god creates him in a desert and there's no rain and the first thing, without even being told, he's like, okay, it must be, I have to connect. I have to pray. There's no rain. And the first thing Adam does is, is, is pray. And it's instinctual. No one has to tell him to do it. And I just find it so interesting that nowadays people find prayer so difficult, find it the least connected part of Judaism, don't like to do it, and don't naturally do it, don't even feel they're missing anything. So I find your story so fascinating because it's really unique in that your gateway, your entryway was, I really need to pray right now. And that's such a unique story. Can you tell me more about that? Now that you, looking back on it, now that you do have experienced prayer, how does that confirm in a way your ability to, yes, believe in something divine or 
or really believe that what you're doing is a real thing, not just uh, some sort of self-talk. Um, how did you go from atheist to you're talking to somebody, not just to yourself? I don't know if I'm talking to somebody. Okay. Whether or not I'm talking to something or what it is that I pray to is something that probably changes every time I pray. One thing I think that, what, thank you for sharing that beautiful Torah about Adam, the first You're human. Welcome. It's one of my favorites. Um, also very timely in our cycle of this, um, <laughs> of this very large book club that we have of, of the Jewish <laughs> right. people. I love that. Um, <laughs> That's good. One of the things that I'm thinking about in this moment is I learned last week a couple of times in the Torah that I was learning um, the question of the separation of waters on the mm. second day of creation emerged. Um, on the second day of creation, God separates water from water. Um, water itself is never created. It's thought that maybe it was somewhere in the Tohu Vavohu or the, the, however you want to translate that phrase. Sure. The bewilderment and void is classically translated. Okay. But. And on the second day of creation, the, the waters are separated above from below. And even when we think about the word Shemaim, heavens, in Hebrew, it has the word Mayim in its waters. Sure. And I, I think that I appreciate that you're bringing into the picture that, you know, the first time Adam prays, what does he say? We need rain. And there's a sense in which in that moment, there's also a prayer for connection between heaven and earth, for waters that are going to minimize the distance that was created on the second day of creation. Um, and, and I think that that is one way that I think about prayer is a closeness. And I don't know, again, I, I don't know if it's a praying to or what it is a closeness with, I think at different times and in different prayer experiences, it's different, right? We, we embody the posture in the Amidah, we embody the posture of angels. And so is there a sense in which our body is reaching closeness with something otherworldly? Or is it there a sense in which our body is, is reaching closeness with its own humanness, with the fact that we need a posture because we have a body that is human? Um, and I think similarly, there's a question of, am I reaching closeness within myself? You know, there's, it said that, that there's a spark of divinity within everyone. That's that right. God fractured in, and, and there's a spark of divinity within everyone. Am I reaching inside myself to the spark of God that is within me and trying to tug on it a little bit? Or am I reaching outward toward the spark of God within you? Um, or am I reaching upward? or sideways or downward or wherever the spark of God is that is that is greater and larger and unified and more beautiful and I, and I think I agree with you I think you know many many people define for example that the word chuva which comes from the word shav which means to return some people learn it means to return to God other people says it means to return to your true self which is an aspect of that God and I, I think I agree with you that we have a divine inside there's a but there's maybe something beyond as well uh, but when you say divine spark uh, internally, I suppose, would you call that a soul or would you call that something, something that's non-physical or just a, a psychological dimension of who you are? The way that I, so one is we can never know. I so, wish I could tell you the answer to that question. <laughs> and I think that one way that I experience 
that that divine spark so yeah one way that i experience that divine spark is that which connects connects me to you connects that, that which we pull on within each other um, okay. i think that our divine sparks in moments of of prep um in moments it in moments of presence right. of, of complete presence is mostly when our sparks are able to interact with one another's to pull on one another's and to to begin a a dialogue with one another of how they are they are separate and yet one how they are you know how 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 we can each have a divine spark that can all be connected into one one god beautiful um, yeah there, there's a beautiful yeah. thought about that uh, we always say the you should love your neighbor as yourself and of course the big question is why is the word for neighbor in hebrew rea the same root as the word for evil which is ra seems like a strange thing for hebrew to do uh, but a beautiful explanation is a little bit what you're saying that the word ra as we know from rosh hashanah which is true ah Ra means a lot of broken pieces. And the way to look at friends is as broken pieces. We're all broken pieces. And a friend is when we get together with a friend, we're reuniting the pieces once again. But there's a bunch of divine sparks, as you mentioned, and we're reuniting with our Rhea, uh, putting them back together again. Um, so I, I totally agree with that. That conceptualization, I guess, what you're touching on a little bit is experience of some sort of transcendent beyond self to a greater whole which is another person and, and beyond. And I guess my last question then is, would you say the experience that you're describing, that transcendent experience is in addition to an, what you believe is a logical dimension that, yeah, there should be something out there that created it all, or is the intellectual piece of this kind of inconsequential in your mind? Sorry, can you repeat the question? The question is the intellectual dimension. You know, Aristotle, Maimonides have all have their proofs of God and their that they describe the idea of a first cause or there being something non-physical to create the physical world. Does the philosophy of God, I guess, is my question, move you as well, or is that an or is it more just the experience that you're describing of that transcendence uh, beyond yourself? I'm a very experiential learner, so the way that I learn best is to put myself physically in various experiences or to even sometimes have moments but that are generally embodied in some way where I can think and feel and realize a certain sense of presence. And sometimes it comes as a feeling very strongly of like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be or this is, ex this is not where I'm supposed to be. And I don't know if that answers the question of whether philosophy has anything to do with the way that I think about an experience, um, the question of the divine, the, the intellectual part of me finds it fun to engage with those texts. And at the same time, the ways that I interact with the question of the divine is one that is much more embodied and much more physical, which is almost kind of counter to the idea of God, because if it's embodied, how can it be an experience which in which that kind of divinity or those divine sparks are, are, um, are manifest. But I think, I think that for me, the, again, I, I, I would hesitate to say a phrase like the belief in or the, 
I think truth is a question that we can never know the truth of something in the way that a philosopher might try to prove something. I don't think really there's anything to prove, but rather that in an experience of presence, I learn a lot about myself. And, and I think the language that I have for that is the language of God or the divine sure. or the Shekhinah or divine sparks or um, Hashem or any other names that you want to get for it. Sure. No, and I agree with you. I think experience is the most powerful teacher. And I, I, I think your point is well taken embodiment. I think that is the, the very uniquely Jewish way of experiencing God, which is a slightly maybe different than other ways that people have conceived of in the past in the sense that we embody God at a Shabbos table with good food, ex, you know, experiencing it through community and togetherness, not in a monastic sort of way. Not, I mean, of course, we have these bodus, as you mentioned, but it is that embodiment of living life to the fullest and in real ways and being present that I think is the Jewish vision in many ways of, of experiencing the divine. And I do think that ultimately the experience is perhaps the most powerful way. And if anything, you know, some people will add the philosophy after the fact and say, Oh, it also makes sense. But, but I, I think for some people, you're right. I think it's not necessary. Uh, experience in many ways is the strongest teacher. And I think that's also proven by the first of the 10 commandments where God says, I am Lord, your God, not who created the world, not who's philosophically here, but who took you out of Egypt? You've experienced me. And that ultimately God agrees that that's the most powerful way of engaging is through that experience. We've had that interaction. Hey, Rebecca, thank you so much for sharing your beautiful story and your experience at Harvard and, and how you've grown the last few years and experience different Jewish communities. Uh, it's really been a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you.